This is an ABC podcast. It's a public holiday in Western Australia and lots of sand gropers around the state are planning to stick some meat on the barbie and have a few mates around to celebrate the last bursts of summer. The shopping lists of must-have for any decent barbecue is usually meat, normally snags, tomato or barbecue sauce, depending on what your personal preference is, and of course, some greens. Something fresh to wash it all down with. But if you're in the very top end of WA right now, the fresh food aisle is pretty much empty. There's not a lettuce or a cucumber to be found because more than a month after floods, the main arteries into Connanara are cut off, making it impossible for deliveries to the local Coles and IGA. I'm Sinead Mangan, and this is Australia-wide, coming to you from Wadjuk country, Perth. If you want to drive to Connanara in the top end of Western Australia, there are two roads in. One way to go is via the Victoria Highway, and that comes from the Northern Territory. The other way is via the Great Northern Highway, and that road comes from the south, from Halls Creek, which is about four hours away. Right now, both roads are cut off, and Connanara is an island. Access from the south has been an issue for over a month when the Great Northern Highway was cut off because the bridge over the Fitzroy River was washed away by floods in January. This is an incredibly serious situation. We've recently declared an emergency situation in the shires of Broome and Derby, West Kimberley. An amazing amount of water has fallen from this system, um, creating those river rises. This is actually really severe. It's, it's crazy. Like, we never thought it would get this far. We just got a chopper going over again. Certainly, uh, this, is, this is the largest scale that I've seen, um, and, and there's con- some considerable work to do. For us, it's the, the uncertainty around the timelines uh, of when we'll be able to get trucks through Fitzroy again. It's just crazy. Needless to say, it's difficult to get anything in and out of Connanara right now, including fresh food. Ted O'Connor is our reporter in Connanara, and Maria Bolton Magne is a business owner and proud Connanara resident. Now, Ted, give me a shopping list of what you can't buy right now in town. Well, it is mainly the fresh stuff. So if you go into Coles in the, IG, in the IGA, finding things like fresh vegetables, um, fresh fruit and meat is in really short supply. So it was in short supply yesterday and it's even in short supply at the moment. And if you go into Coles today, it's just a whole sort of part of the shop where it's just empty shelves everywhere, except for quite a few bags of carrots, interestingly enough, although carrots do tend to have a bit more of a shelf life. So uh, this has been the case for a number of days. Um, even though there was flooding last week, they did actually manage to get some Coles trucks through on special permission. But now the water has risen up so much at the Victoria River Bridge. It was actually, it's actually been metres higher than the bridge. So that means there's not a chance that a truck could get through at the moment. What's the freezer looking at like at home, Maria? Oh, that's that's interesting. Uh, the freezer has uh, hundreds of kilos of frozen mango cheeks in it, um, which, to be honest, has been a bit frustrating because I haven't had enough room in the freezer to actually shop when there have been supplies to put things in there and yeah I'm ready to do something about those mangoes. And yourself Ted have you got much in the freezer holding you up? 
We do have uh, lots of mangoes and a few frozen meals, just mainly to save money, uh, and they will come in handy this week. But it's interesting. I'm hearing two different opinions from residents. Some of the longer-term residents, uh, some people like Maria, remember a time when there wasn't coals, and this um, and people used to have really well-stocked pantries when wet season did cut off roads um, more often. Um, but there are some residents who might be only here, might have only been here for a short amount of time, and are pretty gobsmacked by the idea that a huge region could become isolated. So some people taking it pretty philosophically, others are very frustrated at the moment. Having grown up in Connemara, are these situations you're prepared for at home? Yeah, I think if you've lived here for a while, it's true that you you do have a different sense of preparedness and you just have a very different relationship with your freezer and your pantry and those sorts of things. Um, I grew up without an actual fridge. We grew up in, with a cool room instead, um, which was good in a lot of ways in that your perishables could last months in advance. And we, we had about uh, three months of, of food, of non-perishables in our cool room when I was growing up. Right. Um, the, the flip side to that is that a cool room is never below five degrees. So when things went off, they went off pretty quickly. And um, yeah, we, we grew up with a lot of powdered milk and things like that to get us through. I also just try to buy whatever that's just enough for myself and then, you know, leave some for others as well. Um, so that everyone can get at least something. Yeah. Um, this is how it is. The wet season, the real closure is, doesn't help, but, but it's just how it is. Yeah. Ted, you were out chatting to people in town this morning. What have they to say about the situation? I spoke to one man who's a tour guide at Warrangarra. He's really worried about um, elders getting enough um, fresh food. Um, I spoke to other residents who are going fishing today just so they could have uh, fresh meat. Um, there is a lot of brim around in the rivers at the moment, uh, and the, when, when the water, when there is flooding, it is good fishing. So uh, there will be people coming home with fresh meat tonight. Uh, there's a lot of people just waiting to hear information from the state government about. Um, if and when uh, goods will be freighted in via air or by barge. So just looking to get more information on that. Um, we've heard that uh, there's been quite a, some people who've gone from Kununurra to Wyndham um, to drive to there to try and get fresh groceries, and now Wyndham uh, doesn't have uh, much left at the moment. Horse Creek also is similar. Sim- sim- it also has quite low supplies at the moment too. It's not just Kununurra. You've got these townships of Wyndham and Horse Creek, dozens of Indigenous communities throughout the region as well. I'd imagine the fishing must be pretty good at the moment with all the nutrients in the water. Is that right, Ted? There is typically a time of year when the barra are a lot easier cat to catch and it's a, tip, it's a time of the year where the black brim really breeds. So... Uh, if you go to one of those streams that's normally dry and it's full of water, it can be pretty easy to catch 20 brim if you know what you're doing. So it is a good it is a good time to uh, catch fish. And there was a lot of people with little cocktail prawns that they'd bought um, from the Tucker Box today as bait. Maria, when it comes to this idea of barging food in and airdropping food, what do you make of that? Have you experienced that much in your time in Kununurra? Oh, no, we, we haven't experienced a lot of that here. No, no. But, I mean, the, the situation that we're in now where we haven't had access from the West for two months now, um, I, I don't think we've had this situation now for about 22 years. This is the worst it's been in 22 years. So um, I think what's probably causing the most angst is the, the unknown. Um, there's no certainty um, we, to be honest, we really would like some more communication from the government about what's going to happen and and can they let us know at what point they will deliver goods via mm. air 
um, because at the moment it's, it's just so up in the air. Um, and Ted, is that, you know, we do know there will be an update on that. What's the tipping point for starting to drop food in? Well, the supermarkets have uh, essentially run out of fresh goods at the moment. Um, the Bureau of Meteorology, Meteorology said that it could be, you know, at least five or six days before these river levels drop. Hopefully, uh, when the water does recede, that there isn't damage, um, sort of significant damage to the road. Um, but it does look like there is, it could be another, you know, five days without fresh food uh, coming in. So, um, yes, there, the IGA manager, general manager, told me yesterday he expects um, food to be air freighted in. Uh, we're just waiting to see whether that will happen um, from DFES. Maria, is there a is there angst towards IGA and Coles because you're very reliant on them that this is the scenario you find yourself in? Mm, but there's de- definitely some mixed feelings there. Um, yeah, it's, I, I've got a bit of experience in this because I have a farming background, but I've also worked in that wholesale agent environment in the Perth markets as well. And um, there's a, probably some feelings of uh, that there's more that could be done Um but in the same breath, understanding that there are just um, massive factors at play with Mother Nature that um, just can't be avoided. Um, but I, I, I personally know enough about the industry to know that there, there could be a bit more that could be done. Ted, what about from your point of view and chatting to people? Because often, you know, well, that is the face of the problem. You walk into a shop, there's empty shelves. How are people responding to that in terms of how they feel about those two supermarkets? I do know staff are feeling under a lot of pressure at the moment um, and obviously some of those big decisions are made a very long way from Kununurra. Um, you do hear mixed views about um, Coles. One of the views is that it is important to have it in the town. Um, the prices at Coles aren't that exponentially higher here than you would get on the East Coast. So it is good that they do manage to keep prices at a reasonable level compared to, say, when I travel home back to Victoria. But since the Fitzroy River Bridge has been down... Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag when you walk in there, whether there's groceries or not. Um, and even when they are stocked out, they run out pretty quickly. Now, that probably is a symptom of the fact that they do have to go all the way around um, the rest of the country. But mm. um, these sort of incidents do expose a lot of questions about the stray supply chains. You know, one road coming in and out of the Kimberley. Um, is there enough rail links? Are there enough road links? They've started sealing the Tanami. Well, they're just about to start sealing that. That could take another 10 years. That would have been very handy in this situation if that was already sealed and leaders here have been banging on about that for decades to try and get that sealed so yes it's it's it's, it's sort of it's a similar situation with um, Air North, the airline. There's a lot of delays. There's a lot of issues with Air North. However, some of the long-term residents say without Coles, the likes of Air North, um, we don't have many options in these remote areas. So people do sort of, you know, take what, uh, what comes, unfortunately. For the local community, it means that their only connection east along the Great Northern Highway towards Catherine and beyond the east to eastern Australia uh, has been lost. And for the nation, it means that one of our significant freight routes carrying cattle, fresh fruit and vegetables and the necessities of daily life has been cut. What about pharmaceuticals, Maria? Is there a steady supply of that into the pharmacies, medical supplies and things? Yeah, um, um, to be honest, I, I wouldn't know. I haven't heard of any problems. What about you, Ted? Uh, no, I've, I've, put it, I've put in inquiries to WA Country Health Service and actually Juniper, the aged care home. This is because one of these supermarkets, the IGA, said yesterday that they're a key supplier to 
um, the hospital. Uh, we've not only got Kununurra Hospital, we've got Wyndham Hospital, Halls Creek Hospital. Uh, they have a clinic at Warman. So food supplies um, at the hospital would be relying on these supermarkets. And if they're out of fresh food, it sort of begs the question as how they'll be getting supplies in as well. So I imagine that'll be something that uh, DFES is watching at the moment. Your busiest season, Maria, is just on the horizon there because you own the Kimberley Land Waterfront Holiday Park. Are you worried about that now that the bridge is cut off? Are you worried about what this might mean for your season or are you hoping that it'll be all rectified by then? Oh, look, I think it's absolutely inevitable that there'll be a slow start to the season and that's okay. Uh, We have a slow start to the season every major wet season. Um, You know... We love a good wet season, so we know that sometimes there are some um, compromises to make there. I think as soon as people are going over that low-level Fitzroy crossing when it dries out um, and they start seeing other people travel through the Kimberley, I think it'll be fine. I think for the bulk of the season it'll be fine. It's just It'll just be a slow start. How do you deal with the shifting sands of bookings then? If you've got people booked in for a certain time and they just can't get, get in and get through, how do you deal with that? As a business? Yeah, look, when it's happened during the wet season, we tend to find there's just as many people that get stuck that have to stay here as many people that have to cancel for not being able to get here. So that they equal each other out. Um, yeah, so it hasn't been too much of an issue. It's, it's been an issue this year because the thoroughfare around Australia has been cut off mm. and for months. So that has definitely changed people's plans. They're going through the centre of Australia now, not around the West Coast. Have you had many cancellations? Yeah, uh, we have had quite a few. Um, But I would say with the road traveller, they are quite flexible and can change their plans quite quickly. Um, I would say that as soon as people start seeing that there are people that are going from the Northern Territory through to Broome and further, it'll be fine. So you're expecting most people to come from the north rather than up along the west coast? Yeah, yep, that's the uh, the general trend yeah. of how people travel. They come from the eastern states and, and head north. We were expecting it to drop off. We thought everyone would head off overseas. However, we're pleased that people have wanted to really explore their state more. Maria, in, in terms of, you know, with COVID, we had lockdown and we had a lot of Australians travelling around Australia and discovering their own backyard, so to speak, and Conanera was definitely a beneficiary of that. Is that continuing? Most definitely. And because we were cut off essentially for the best part of two years, there is a massive backlog of travellers that once come through the Kimberley. So we're expecting tourism to be strong here for quite a number of years. Um, maybe not as strong as it was last year, but... Um, I, I think people love the Kimberley and, and I, I, I don't doubt that they're going to keep coming. Ted, what about the um, Fitzroy Bridge? What's going on there in terms of the progression of, is it, you know, obviously waiting for things to subside, but, but how's repair work going? Uh, it could be at least months until the likes of trucks are getting across it um, and then they'll probably need to, um, they can't just take a triple road train across, there'll be a barge system so they'll have to go one trailer at a time um, and they'll be, they're looking to try and construct that around a low level crossing at the moment. As far as a new bridge that could be a year, year and a half um, before that's constructed. Those, so the feeling is by dry season trucks and cars will be getting through but just how long that they're banking up there will be um, interesting I suppose because it does get very busy here in dry season when you've got all the caravans and things coming through so just how good that system is um, we'll have to wait and see it also just depends on how 
much rain they get over the next few months, which could hold up um, the repairs. Um, main roads did really quickly try and get that... Um, they did try and really quickly open up that crucial link from Broome to Fitzroy by um, creating this side track around 10 kilometres of road, which was washed away. So they really um, got stuck into that very quickly, and that was that's been hugely important um, for the West Kimberley. It's. I mean, it, it must look stunning where you are. You know, despite all of these headaches, it must be an extraordinary time to be up there. For you, Ted, as a relative newcomer, what is what's it been like? Oh, the scenery is incredible. I've been out what seeing waterfalls every weekend and this is why i love living up here it's just um, an amazing part of the world and you just you know there is uh there is flooding and there is you know water crossings and you just have to be careful um but uh yeah this the thing is with wet season is it's just a shame people can't see it at this time of year because it's just quite impractical to plan a holiday and come up here and then have it bucket down rain uh for weeks at a time so but i'm i'm really enjoying it and for you, Maria, how does it stand up compared to others you've seen? Oh, it's magnificent. It's absolutely amazing. And it, I never get bored of it and it never ceases to amaze me. Well, both of you, thanks very much for talking to Australia. Why Ted O'Connor, who's our reporter in Kananara, and Maria Bolton-Magne, who's a, she's a business owner up there and she's lived in Kananara most of her life. Thanks a million for chatting to Australia Wide today. Thank you. Thanks, Sinead. This is ABC Australia Wide. Let's head now to central Queensland, where a sport traditionally associated with combat in Thailand is being taken up by young boys and girls. Mai Thai originated in Thailand and for centuries the martial art was exclusive for men. But now at a small gym in Rockhampton, young boys and girls are smashing stereotypes and building their confidence on the mat. Michelle Gately and Erin Semler went along to find out why these kids are swapping dance classes and footy for martial arts. My dad said, do you want to do gymnastics, ballet, dancing or kickboxing? I choose kickboxing. It's fun to do training because it always makes me nice and happy. It feels me more proud of myself. That's seven-year-old Pippa Banks. She's one of the young girls proving Muay Thai isn't just a boys' sport anymore. And she's got a great role model to look up to in her coach, 17-year-old Georgia Ralphs. Georgia started the sport around the same age and is now a world champion in her division after competing in Turkey last year. Oh, I didn't, didn't believe it at first. It took me a couple of weeks to bring in that I actually won Worlds and that I'm a world champion now, but it was a crazy experience. When I got my hand raised, it was like I couldn't, like, I, like, froze in time. I was like, this is crazy. I actually did got this far. Having achieved one big dream in winning the title, Georgia now has her sights set on something bigger, encouraging more young girls to take up the sport. One, two, three, Georgia trained as a referee and took on roles coaching younger children, including Pippa and her eight-year-old friend Addie Hansel. I really want to be like um, Miss Georgia because I just want to be like her, so... When I grow up, I can be just like her. She's like my big sister. The girls train at a gym in Gracemere, owned by Chloe McLaughlin. The number of girls in classes at the gym is a huge contrast to when Chloe started Muay Thai, something which may not have happened if it wasn't for her brother. I was actually um, watching my brother train um, lots and I'd just finished dancing and 
his trainer at the time approached me and asked me if I'd like to have a job there just doing like um, like making coffees and all the reception work and stuff and I thought oh yeah a bit of money and then yeah he kind of approached me again whilst I was working and said oh jump on and start teaching and then I just took off and been doing it ever since. I had been doing dance for three years though so it was a big choice but I just fell in love with it and yeah very very dominant with boys um still is very dominant with boys um a lot of like older men as well so it was hard um once I'd worked my way up the ranks over the years teaching the men because they're males and they didn't really want to be taught by a little girl but the little girl could teach them a lot so they kind of had to deal with it for the children starting out Muay Thai classes look a lot like games learning some basic technique most of all though it's about making the sport fun and giving kids a safe space. We aim for our gym to be not just a gym but a family so all our kids have a safe place to come. So we sometimes get kids here um, that have had really bad time at home or they've had a really bad past or a bad upbringing and stuff and this is their safe place. So they come here not only to train um, but because they know there's people here that they can talk to and they feel safe here. One of the questions Chloe gets asked most is how violent the sport is. Parents are a bit worried that, you know, it's just going to create their child to be a bully or, you know, to react badly at school and get into trouble at school. And it's not. It teaches them to learn discipline and respect and confidence. So they know what they can and can't do at school. And they have rules here where they know that, you know, we can't go home and punch into our brother even though he's, you know, annoying us. And I speak from experience, my brother's really annoying and... Um, they, they learn those rules and stuff and it, it changes them. And once the parents see that, they're happy. So what's George's advice for anyone interested in trying Muay Thai? Give it a go and never say that you can't do it unless you've tried it. Georgia Rolfs ending that story from Michelle Gately and Erin Semler. And finally, we're going to head to Central Australia to a sewage pond because of all things a species of duck that hasn't been seen in the area for more than 120 years has just turned up at the Alice Springs sewage ponds. In fact there are no official records of the bulky musk duck ever being spotted in the Northern Territory aside from one claim that is shrouded in mystery and the sight of this bird has got the twitchers twitching. Alex Barwick went down to the local poo ponds, as she calls them, with zoologist and former bird guide Mark Carter to see the lone female musk duck. The Alice Springs sewage ponds provide an outback oasis for both native and migratory birds. But the recent arrival of a musk duck, usually only found in the southeast and southwest of the country, has got local twitchers very excited. In terms of bird watching, this is like uh, Beyonce and Prince and Elvis have all turned up at once. This is, this is really something awesome. When Mark Carter received notification on a bird watching app that someone had spotted the duck, he assumed it was a mistake. And I saw this thing saying, must duck Alice Springs, and I thought, yeah, right, rubbish. That's, that's got to be a mistake. That's got to be an error. And it said the person had taken photos. So I jump on the computer, I look at the photos, because they're all public to see, and holy cow, it really is a musk duck. And, uh, and so right there and then, I just walked straight out of the house, straight into the car, zoomed to the ponds. And there Mark found the lone female musk duck. 
Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia says it's remarkable that this species of duck turned up in Alice Springs and the closest on the official records have only been seen at least 600 kilometres away in western Queensland. It, it certainly is remarkable because musk ducks generally stick to the southeast and southwest of Australia and they, they, they like very deep water. So there's a long a long, a wide, wide gap between where they normally occur and Alice Springs. And they're not very good flyers. They're they're very uh, short-winged and they're quite stubby-winged. And we know they do fly because they turn up in wetlands, but we think they fly overnight, but they're not known to be great long-distance flyers. Uh, so it was remarkable that it did turn up, but uh, certainly... Australia's birds uh, will take, especially our water birds, will take advantage of the boom and bust conditions. There is a story shrouded in mystery, though, about a musk duck seen in the late 1800s in Central Australia, according to Mark Carter. We don't have them in the Territory, and I would almost say we've never had them in the Territory, but that's not quite true. There was one shot once at Red Bank Waterhole at some point in the Victorian era, we're not quite sure when. Could be as early, it uh, could be as late as about 1894. It could be um, on one of the McDowell Stewart expeditions. Alex Barwick speaking to zoologist and former bird guide Mark Carter at the Alice Springs Sewage Ponds. And that brings Australia wide for a close today. I hope you have a lovely Monday evening. Cheerio. This is an ABC podcast.